right, welcome in everybody to the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. And back again this week is Ben Dowsett, who we've just started calling the extraordinaire, yep. the associate editor, writer, whatever you want to call him. But I'm glad, Ben, you're back. First of all, how is Toronto? Toronto was excellent. I had a really good time. Got to see all my family. Ben, but stoked to be back. The, the Canadian neighbors up yep. north. Great. Yeah, no, I got my whole, essentially my entire extended family up in Toronto, so it's nice to see them every year, and got enough internet up there to see the different basketball things going on, so it was good enough, I suppose. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were able to stay in the loop. Today is our last day recording from the ESPN 700 studios in West Valley. We've got the moving van right outside, moving everything. They're going to be kicking us out, more or less, right here soon, so um, <laughs> I want to get the show recorded. But um, I'm excited for the new studios downtown. It should allow us to do some really cool things with this podcast and eventually the radio show coming up in a couple of weeks. So uh, first of all, though, Ben, uh, you were out of town for the LeBron news. I was. And so I haven't been able to get your reaction on the air. I want your live recorded reaction to LeBron James going to Cleveland. Well, you know, I was. It, it actually took place on my birthday. Is when it happened. <laughs> I was. I was up on, in in Toronto. It was July 11th, and we were uh, we were actually getting ready to leave Toronto and head up to to Northern Ontario to Cottage Country up there. My family has a cottage, and uh, news start. I got started getting a few texts from some people, even though I told people not to text me up there because I didn't have any text messages. Uh, I guess they figured that given my uh, my LeBron fandom, it was probably a little more important to make sure I knew. I had my dad stop the car and run into a Starbucks so I could get on Wi-Fi and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I read the letter and everything, and and you know I uh, of beyond the obvious things like he he clearly did things a lot more professionally this time. Uh, clearly was a lot more prepared for what was going to happen and the 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 circus that was going to take place. Although you know maybe he could have done it a little quicker, I suppose, and maybe done it before my birthday and while I was in Toronto, so I would have <laughs> had time to analyze it and everything. But uh, no, I, selfish. Like this is just the most important player in NBA history <laughs> moving, yeah, and yeah. maybe not in NBA history, but you know certainly the most current important NBA player one of the most important in terms of like a free agent move like it's I don't know if we've ever seen a player at this level of peak play change teams in the middle of his prime I mean I guess maybe Kareem or somebody like that but yeah uh from a fit standpoint and as the the LeBron homer that I am I think it's going to be I think it's going to be great I you know of course that for everyone in in Cleveland and in Ohio it's just it's it's really it's a great story and and, you know people like to downplay that sort of thing but I really think it is it's it's a it's an awesome story he he the way he I like the way he likened it in the article to being like a college type of thing where he because you know he was he never did go to college and I whatever if you feel, feel it's a little contrived whatever but at the same time <laughs> and from a basketball fit standpoint I'm, I'm really interested to see what they can do I think they're the, the, all the rumors are about the Kevin Love thing, of course, and, and that'll, you know, if they do it, and I think that will happen, honestly, I think that's going to, that would really improve them. But I, the one thing I do think they need to look for as well is a, is a rim protector with LeBron. You know, as we know, he's going to hit the 40,000 minute mark in his first game with Cleveland. His legs are not what they used to be. And, uh, I think a rim protector to, def- to be behind him on defense is like the number one thing that can help him age, uh, gracefully. And so I, I, lo- I'm looking for the Cavs to be looking into something like that too even though the pickings are fairly thin yeah it, it'll be interesting i'm not sure how they could be able to achieve that L- let me ask before we move on from the lebron thing because there is a lot of jazz news that we want to talk about is do you think it's fair that vegas has put them as the number one favorite 
championship no. contenders going into the season. No, I think that's foolish. I think it's uh, every year we do this. Why are the Spurs not the favorites? Like they <laughs> they just ran through everybody, and they're bringing back the exact same team. Like we learned four years ago that age isn't necessarily the same thing it is for these guys as it is for everyone else, and we've just seen more examples of that in recent years. I don't know if maybe I'd have the Cavs as the second best odds. Like if if I was the one doing it. Uh, It'd be close for me with the Cavs and maybe the 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 Thunder, of course. Maybe the I think the Clippers are going to be good again. Maybe 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 the the Bulls, Chicago with the Gasol addition. Uh, I would not have you know we've seen countless times how putting this the type of the, not that Cleveland is a super team or anything, but maybe they they trend more that way even if they got a Kevin Love. And but I wouldn't even have them as the title favorites if they got Kevin Love. Really? I okay. know I would still That's have the I would still have the Spurs. I just I don't I don't see how we can look at a team that just dominated that heavily and and bringing back brings back the exact same team and not think that they're going to be pretty likely to do so again. And I, I think it's just it takes a little bit of time to gel in a yeah. completely new team. And and this is a you know there's really no remnants of the of the team LeBron left behind when he when he left four years ago. And I I think there's it'll take a bit of a process if they get love. I think they're unequivocally the favorites in the East. Um, but in terms of the title, them get them being able to defend a true juggernaut West offense, I don't know that I see it happening yet. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think the only reason that they might be the number one favorites is just because of how difficult the West is. I mean, we saw the yeah. Spurs struggle with the West, even in the first round with the Dallas Mavericks going mm-hmm. to Game 7 against that number 8 seed team. Um, you know, uh, the gauntlet of opponents becomes difficult to manage, and even if you're facing, you know, uh, like I said, the number eight seed Dallas Mavericks, you have a difficult series each and every game. So, you know, if something doesn't work out injury-wise for the Spurs, of course, I think that makes it more difficult for them. And, you know, they are a year older, and that's something to consider, although probably we've learned by now that the Spurs never die. You know, and, are, I mean, one day I suppose team. it's got to happen, but like it, until it does, I'm not predicting it anymore because I predicted it like four or five years ago, and <laughs> right. it definitely didn't happen. So, right. I mean, I, I think everybody did. Um, so we also haven't had a show since two weeks ago because of last week's holiday, the Pioneer Day. On How was it? Were the fireworks good? They were good. They, I So I went to the RSL game once, and they, it was spectacular. I actually really enjoyed the 24th fireworks. They did a great job on those. Um, RSL's performance over the last week, and in particular yesterday, was a little bit sketchy, but we probably won't get into that because this is a basketball podcast. But I, I want to... There is a lot of jazz news to talk about. We had a trade, um, the, the Carrick-Felix trade, with the aforementioned Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, we also have the Trevor Booker signing that we haven't really yet discussed. Um, so, and we also have these Burke, Alec Burks and uh, Ennis Cantor extensions coming up. We, the Jazz will have to make a decision on those this summer. So I kind of want to preview those in this podcast. But first, let's go ahead and start with uh, the Carrick-Felix trade, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, it's not a big deal. But I think it's something that elucidates what the Jazz want to do with their plan. And it's yet another trade where the Jazz are trading these kind of current expiring assets. Literally, you know, they have to make a decision by August 1st, tomorrow, on these non-guaranteed guys mm-hmm. for something that they can use long-term, i.e. Carrick Felix and the Cleveland second-round pick, the 2015 second-round pick that they got in that trade. 
First of all, do you think it's a good deal for the Jazz value-wise? or I, I do, and I, and we're talking, you know, in, in the large scheme of things, that there's a good chance that we're talking a, a, very, a fairly minuscule amount of overall value when we do, when we do talk about value. But yes, I, I think, and and uh, going to your point of of kind of being right along the trajectory that the Jazz have set out for themselves, and that's the, the that's the thing for me that's just encompassed the entire summer thus far is that I think the Jazz have had a clear direction and have done a really good job of following. That direction, and I think this one is is right along the same lines. It, this is you know this is a real chance for a, a staff, a coaching staff that's being lauded left and right as for as a, a you know a really talented player development staff and things like that to to prove its pedigree there and to uh, you know Carrick Felix is a he's a, you know he's a former second round pick. He's a little bit older than you would expect a guy who was picked in 2013. Like he's about to turn I think 24 if I'm not mistaken. Um, he, you know, he's a he's a, a project type player, as they say. He's got certain things, elements of his offensive game that, you know, several elements of his offensive game that are going to definitely need some work. He's, uh, in particular for me, his uh, his ball handling is a is a real issue. He's turning the ball over a lot in just in the small amounts of tape that I've seen. He's I don't know that he quite has the handle to keep up with his athleticism, but he does have some really excellent athleticism. He's got uh, a solid wingspan. I think nearly six ten, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I like the he, he in the tape that I've been watching from him. He moves a lot. I really like how well, he's a great cutter off the ball. He's smart. See, he understands the angles of the game. He's still got a lot of you know a lot of feel stuff to learn to even get up to NBA speed, even as potentially like a backup. Um, and I think potentially his upside may actually be larger on defense um, because he's he's got good good lateral movement and he's quick and the good wingspan and everything I think could be a, a real asset for him. I think that's what the the scouting reportism is on him is that he's got at least a defensive potential to be an elite defensive player. Mm-hmm. It's just whether or not the offense comes at all. Yeah. Um, he's he's great in transition is one thing, and I you okay. know you know the Jazz are going to be looking to push that sort of thing more frequently, especially if he maybe plays with some bench units that might include Exum, might include an Alec Burks uh, from time to time. Uh, he uh, to me he's uh, he is athletic. People think. When they think athleticism, they generally think quick first step no matter what. I actually didn't see that as much with him in the tape that I did watch. I I actually think he's faster a few steps in once he's got ahead of steam. Him getting out in transition once he's got a few steps in that, you know, by the time he reaches half court type thing, he's been a, he's really out running guys and, and making things happen in transition. He can finish reasonably well at the hoop, uh, and he can definitely get up high enough to dunk it when that's an option. So uh, he, he could be fun, especially, and he's... Shown flashes of three point range, actually. I, it's not consistent at all. He's good. He's going to really need to refine it for it to be a, a major weapon. But if he can hit the point where he's, you know, in the mid 30s, potentially from the NBA range, then all of a sudden he's, he becomes a guy that's got a couple elements that you can use. He might not be the sort of drive and kick guy that you want all the time in the, in the motion system that we're expecting to see. But, uh, I, I think he could be a fun piece, and if he if he maybe develops and the, becomes a, a a project for the for the coaching staff to hang its hat on, we could see him get some some fairly legitimate bench minutes. Or it's possible that he may not be able to crack the rotation this year. You know, you're, you're, you can never know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the comp I used for him in my trade wrap up article was Quinton Ross, uh, who's another six six guard, shooting guard, um, played a little bit of small forward, but basically was a. a a defensive specialist, you know, used his size and length to stay in front of guys, but in terms of offense, just didn't add a whole lot. I mean, was literally shooting under 40% for most of his career, um, and that's eventually why he bounced out of the league is because no one could really 
play him on the offensive end in order to justify what he did defensively. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I look at Carrick Felix and see that, okay, he doesn't have the ability to dribble. He doesn't really have a three-point shot to this point. Um, you know, can he stay on the floor offensively is the big question for him. You had another comparison for him that I also kind of like. Yeah, and it was while we're sticking with the Ross theme, uh, was Terrence Ross, actually. Now, not a current version of Terrence Ross, of course. Uh, more of an earlier, more raw version of, of Terrence Ross, who, you know, an ad- they don't play the same position necessarily, but, uh, you know, a, a fairly raw athlete, good defensive upside. There are, you know, there are, as we know, and this is something we've discussed on here and that I like to point out in all my pieces when when talking about development, shooting is one of the most variable areas. It's an area where you, you know, not that this is a guarantee or anything, not even close, but it is an area where you see lots of guys who started out kind of mediocre to, can improve. It's something that happens more freak, like happens a lot more frequently than a guy who's a bad rebounder all of a sudden becoming a good rebounder, for example. And with that in mind, and he's he's I, I I like his form when he was in the very very limited minutes he played with Cleveland last year. They were letting him fire away from deep when he was. Of course, these were mostly garbage time minutes, and who knows if they would have been doing that if they were important minutes whatsoever. But um, I, I I do kind of like, and I think the three the whether or not he develops that shot is is really going to be the largest indicator of whether he's going to have the value because, like you say, if the guy can never shoot. It's just unsure whether he's going to really have anything on the offensive end. He's not going to be a guy who's going to be creating his own shot regularly, right. and especially with forecasting for the next year or two as on a on a second unit that's going to already probably include Exum frequently, who's still coming along with the shot. Gobert, who definitely can't shoot, it's it's going to be tough to fit him into those minutes if that doesn't develop. Yeah, and I th- I think the Jazz, while they've acquired Steve Novak, are still going to have troubles difficult. Uh, if- difficulties with having enough shooting on the floor next yep. season. I mean, you look at Trey Burke was a disappointing shooter last season. Dante Exum, you look at his scouting report, and you know while we don't have the stats on it, the shooting hasn't really been there. Yeah. Um, you know, Gordon Hayward had a down season last season. If, if he performs like that again this season, he's not a plus shooter. I think he's coming Alec back. Burks probably isn't a... Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's fair. If with, with better types of shots and, mm-hmm. and less defensive pressure, I think uh, he can shoot it much better than he did. But he's kind of shown to be an up-and-down shooter. He was in college, for example. His second sophomore year, was he wasn't a great shooter as well. Um, Alec Burks, you know, you was I think a be- is a better shooter than people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he's a plus on that end. And he's not certainly a, a defense. I, the Kyle Korver term that uh, Zach Lowe used in his article, he doesn't move the defense yeah. in order to try to attract... Alec Burke's shot in order to try to defend that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, really all the Jazz are left is, with is Rodney Hood and Steve Novak. And it's it's really up in the air how much minutes those guys can be played, Rodney Hood being a rookie and Steve Novak being Steve Novak. And, you know, yeah. really being a, a, a minus for a lot of teams he's played for. Um, and especially defensively. I mean, he's right. going to be – I mean, I think when they play him with Gobert, they'll – That'll be a that'll be the majority of probably where they try and play him is next to Gobert as like a, a pseudo four where Gobert can back him up at the rim and things like that. When you say him, you mean Novak? Novak. Yeah, sorry, Novak. That's oh, for yeah. Novak. And and yeah, you know, agreed. There, I do think Hayward is going to have a resurgent year in terms of the shot. I really think that he's gonna uh, he's gonna correct a few of the issues. Uh, and by the way, he's looking like jacked. I've, I've <laughs> noticed. Like Gordon's looking big. Good on you, Gordon. Uh, 
yeah, you know, shooting, I think, is still, I don't think there's any question the shooting is still going to be one of the Jazz issues this year uh, in a vacuum. They're going to have some troubles in that area. And Felix isn't, of course, he's not a piece that's meant to come in and improve that sort of thing or even close to it right away. Um, but he's going to be, a fu- he could be fun, could play some spot minutes here and there. And, I, you know, I think going again with the theme of, a, you know, a very Spursian type thing, I think we're going to be playing a lot of guys next year, doing a lot of running, having fun with things and, and, and maybe trying a lot of new things. And you never know where he might fit in that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a worthy experiment. My only question about this deal is if you were willing to take on a young prospect with Carrick Felix for a second round and in order to get a second round pick and give up kind of these guys, why why not Jarnell Stokes? Why trade that pick away given that, you know, the excuse was the Jazz couldn't have three rookies in training camp. They would utilize too much of the coaching resources away from Dante Exum and Ronnie Hood probably going to be way more important players than whoever you take with that second-round pick. So trade it away, get what you can, and move on, and kind of use these assets moving forward. But to me, Carrick Felix is more or less a rookie, right? Like He is, for all intents and he purposes, played he played 87 is. minutes last year, right? Yeah. So I, I just don't see what the big difference is between Carrick Felix, who admittedly has one year of D-League and NBA experience, but in terms of on-the-floor production and where he is now compared to where he will have to be in order to be a good NBA player, I don't see the difference between Jarnell Stokes and Carrick Felix. And in fact, I might think Jarnell Jarnell Stokes is a better prospect because, you know, we don't have a year that shows who he is as an NBA player on the floor. You know, his like Carrick Felix's D-League stats weren't that impressive either, right? No, they weren't. They didn't jump off the page necessarily. So to me, I guess I'd rather have the variability of Jarnell Stokes, who, by the way, has looked really good in Summer League, and say, you know, maybe let's take a flyer on this guy, see what he can do. You know, no harm if he doesn't turn out to be anything, but now that we've got this great relationship with our D-League franchise in Boise now, we can do something special. Uh, you know, we may be able to put something together with Darnell Stokes so he becomes a rotation player. Yeah, you know, o- overall I think that is, you, I spoke earlier about looking at the Jazz offseason cumulatively, I suppose that might be the one move that I'm still the, the slightest bit confused about. Yeah, I, that's, that's the thing that gets me, I guess, is that the Jazz have, stayed true to this theme of trading current assets for future things mm-hmm. down the road. And, and in some sense, that's the case with the Jarnar Stokes deal. The Jazz did get a second-round pick from Memphis as a result of that deal, but it probably isn't going to be the 35th pick. In, no, in and that it's was my... worse yeah. than that in a worse draft. Yeah, that this is the, the likelihood. It was right? a deep draft. It was this last one, and you you know, Jarnell Stokes is a guy who you his talent level very well might be a late first-rounder in a, in a you know, your standard and NBA draft I think this one was clearly one of the deepest drafts in a long time uh you know the the full lottery at plus was was had ha- full of guy you know the Jazz got a guy at 23 who's very very potentially going to be a, a real impact play when I say impact player take it with a you know potential grain of salt but you know he's going to be a, a player who does things in the NBA which isn't always a, a guarantee for your late first round picks um, no I mean I, I don't know that I know that as much yeah as I feel like you do <laughs> I think you I, know, I, 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 well, and, and I meant that more in an, in an overall sense. I think, I think generally a lot of people agreed that this was a, you know, this was a very deep draft and you're not going to necessarily find the kind of value at 35 in future drafts. Maybe that you do. And we can't say that for sure. We never know what's going to show up right. in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, no, in an overall sense, I definitely agree with you. I don't think there's necessarily anything separating a guy besides their position, of course, separating a guy like Carrick Felix or, or someone, uh, like, uh, 
uh, Jarnell Stokes. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's just positional scarcity that the Jazz looked at be. the roster and said, you know, we've got a lot of power forwards here. Now have like six who could conceivably pay, play power forward. Yeah. Maybe Although they five. didn't have Booker at the time. Yeah, that's true. But then do you not sign Trevor Booker because you have a second-round pick in Jarnell Stokes? I, I think the Trevor Booker thing is a good move, and actually, why, why not? Let's just go ahead and segue hey. into that because I did want to talk about Trevor Booker. Um, again, another move that the Jazz have made in this last two weeks that we haven't been able to really look at. First of all, uh, I, you know, I think that it's an underrated move for the Jazz. I, the, the contract seems big, two years, $10 million. But the second year is completely unguaranteed. I shouldn't say completely. 250000 of it, of it is guaranteed. So it's basically so completely unguaranteed. Like. 95% unguaranteed. Um, and I think that's the thing that people don't look at at this deal is that the Jazz can use him as a trade asset in year two. I mean, we just saw how the Jazz were able to use these three smaller unguaranteed contracts, which added up to about $3 million dollars to get a second-round pick and a, and a decent prospect, prospect and a great name in Carrick Felix. It is a great name. Um, but I think the Jazz can get more from a Trevor Booker deal, or they can use it in conjunction with one of their other pieces, maybe a young guy like Alec Burks and a scanter. You know, maybe you make a move on Trey Burke if you think Dante Exum is the future, mm-hmm. and combine that with Trevor Booker to get an excellent player um, who has a large salary number. You know, you could even if you put, let's say you put in Trey Burke and Trevor Booker together next year at draft day, you could get a nine or ten or eleven million dollar player in in return who might help you win now in the twenty sixteen season. Mm-hmm. And, while the Jazz haven't been looking at winning now really at any time, they're going to have to decide one day that now is the time where I want to be a contender. Yeah, definitely. And then, by the way, first of all, Jazz Twitter, we are not haranguing for the trade of Trey Burke. We are not. <laughs> that is not what's happening here. These are just potential scenarios. Uh, no, and, and you know, I definitely agree. And I, I think, you know, you never know. A lot of folks have it pegged as, as still a couple years down the line when the Jazz start sort of flipping some of these assets into win-now pieces. But you you, you never know what's going to happen. This is, this is a team that I still think there's more more unknown involved in their performance this upcoming season than people think. I, I, and now that is, don't take me the wrong way. I'm not predicting the Jazz to, to challenge for a playoff spot. The West is loaded. They're, they're going to play a really tough schedule and everything like that. But I still, I, I do think there's a chance that this team makes a reasonable improvement on its win total from last year. I, and, and, you know, if we see that happening and if maybe Exum comes along more quickly than we thought he would and one of the other main guys being a Burks favors, Hayward or Cantor, or maybe even Gobert, one of those guys makes a, a solid leap, maybe two of them, which, you know, they're all young, they all had good pedigrees, none of this is impossible. I They could very easily be looking to make that sort of a, of a you know, a, maybe a, a win-now move, maybe even next summer. It's, it's entirely possible, and I definitely agree. A guy like Booker, especially given the role I think he's going to play this year, where I think he's going he's gonna to play a decent amount of minutes for the Jazz, he's going to switch between different types of lineups because he's a, he's a versatile enough guy at the power forward position that he can do so. I, I think those could certainly be possibilities in the future. Yeah, so I, I want to get to the win total thing in a second, but just looking at Trevor Booker for a second because I think he you know is a piece of that win total, obviously. I, I think he does a couple things for the Jazz. I mean, obviously the trade thing I just mentioned. First of all, I, I think he gives the toughness to the Jazz offensively and defensively. And really by toughness, I don't mean like the pseudo, I also want to say Matt Harpering style toughness. <laughs> but 
how about instead of who Matt Harpering was as a player, who Matt Harpering wants you to be as a broadcaster? <laughs> like uh, Matt Harpering, the broadcaster, wants every player to get in a fight immediately, yeah. lest so he can show his manliness to the world. You know that Gordon Hayward just sticking there after staying there and not retaliating after Delonte West sticks a wet willy in yeah. his ear. Not good enough for Matt Harpering, the broadcaster. Hashtag analysis. But I, I think what he Trevor Booker actually does is he actually gives a hundred percent of his of everything that he can on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. He's a garbage man offensively. Um, he did add a nice mid range jump shot mm-hmm. last season, so I, I like that. But you know, at least historically, he's been a garbage man around the basket, getting rebounds, putting it back in, kind of player offensively. And defensively, he's overmatched size-wise, right? You oh, know, yeah. He's a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, power mm-hmm. forward. He's not that long. He's he's Paul Millsap, right? He's, I was going to say Millsap is, the, is a very close comp in terms of he doesn't necessarily do all the things that that Paul does and did, um, right. but he's a, he's a, he's a, a, an attractive comp there and in the, in that sense he's and yeah he shot nearly forty two percent from mid range last year so he added that in as well and that's reliable now at this point he can put the ball on the floor uh, not you know not like you want him to be doing it constantly but he can and that's that is a good thing in the in a, and again in a motion system that's a you want a guy that can that can take a few dribbles from time to time when you need him to he's a beast on the offensive boards he had you know two per game last year and his per 36 numbers he's he's averaged he averaged nine rebounds per 36 last year which you know that's he's which not gonna nice. play he's probably not gonna play 36 minutes but still you know that's good production yeah um, no I, I i like what he brings there i, I think the biggest difference is though that he's all of a sudden bringing an, an ounce of caring to the jazz which uh-huh. honestly looking at how bad the jazz were defensively they have the pieces that, to be better than 30th in the league right i mean Definitely. Derek favors is a better piece than he showed last season mm-hmm. you know gordon hayward can defend better than he showed last season alec burks took a step last season i think trey burke can be a better defender and we've started to see that in summer league but a lot of what happened last season was that jazz where other opposing teams would you know swing the ball once or twice, get the Jazz in a difficult situation in a pick and roll or whatever, and then after the Jazz made the first rotation, they would give up. Yeah, right. Like they wouldn't either. They wouldn't know where to go on that second rotation due to youth or inexperience, or they would just they'd be, be lazy, completely lazier, and, yeah. and get lost. And and Trevor Booker won't allow you to do that just because he's he's going to be giving a hundred percent of his effort on the floor all the time. The Jazz felt that they lacked, and, I, and I've talked to some front office guys about this, the Jazz felt that they lacked that sort of toughness and effort on the defensive end. They want to start implementing this defensive culture, and I think they think Trevor Booker is a large part of that, even if Trevor Booker is not a plus defensive player overall. Yeah, and I, I think people often convolute those two things. Like, a guy needs to be, you know, an, an excellent defender or at least an above-average defender for him to, quote-unquote, set the tone for a team defensively, and I, I don't believe that at all, necessarily. You know, sure, that's better. You prefer a guy who can also put up the, the, the results to match with his effort level, but, if you know, it all Almost in a in a sense, there's in a in a way it makes it a a little bit more of a of a boon to have a guy like that who it's like okay I know I'm not necessarily the most plus guy in this area but I'm gonna go 110 percent constantly and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna put my all into it and I'm gonna get squeeze every last little bit of defensive value out of myself that I have and if I'm doing that as the you know the semi not great defender that I am then maybe the guys who are you know who are better positioned with their skill sets to be good at that are gonna start doing the same things. Yeah, and I think especially in front of a home floor like Utah's where that can start to steamroll and, and snowball and get on top of each other where these kind of defensive plays, effort plays that gets get the crowd involved, um, you start getting steals and turnovers and, and start getting in transition. I think that can help the Jazz moving forward. 
again, I don't think Trevor Booker is a positive defensive player no. overall. I, I think you know he is overmatched, and he's, he's certainly not a rim protector. But in terms of what the Jazz lacked last season, he can he can fill that hole. Yeah, and you know he does actually have some decent lateral movement, and it did he does he did defend the pick and roll pretty well last year. I watched a bunch of tape on him in the pick and roll. He's not he doesn't have the athleticism to to or he doesn't have the 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 length really to to keep up with when you know great athletes come at him in certain situations there on the roll and things. But he his positioning is excellent. He knows what he's doing there. He understands the team scheme really well, and you know that's going to happen in Utah as well. I think, and yeah, I like the move for them. I like he's almost going to be kind of a you know he's only twenty. But he's going to kind of be like a sort of pseudo veteran yeah. type presence. He's definitely been in the league. He's been on a team that that did some winning last year. Like they well, and in terms of his experience, he brought a team. I mean, obviously, this is not Trevor Booker's fault, but he was with a team that underperformed and underachieved and was rebuilding for the, his first three years with Washington. And then last year, year four, they figured it out, made the playoffs, mm-hmm. took a huge step with John Wall and the rest of that crew. And again, it's not that Trevor Booker was the cause of that, but. Yeah. Uh, although he did add a little bit to his game with the mid-range jump shot and whatever else. But he's been with the team. He knows what it takes to bring that step from um, an experienced group of losers to semi-experienced but still young group of winners who uh, can make it, make an impression in the playoffs. Yeah, I like him. I think he's going to be fun. And, and, you know, I think there's even if, if, if Cantor struggles like he did last year in, in a lot of situations and, and kind of is, is still not grasping certain things, I think we may see Booker in, in a more expanded role than people are assuming. And you, you never know, five million a year all of a sudden could look like it's not all that much if he, if he makes another step and, and ends up fitting really well within this jazz scheme. Even though you're right, he's not going to be a guy that you can play for long periods defensively against NBA starter units. Let me throw out one more thing about Trevor Booker that I like. Maybe this will be the tripod of my Trevor Booker fandom. Um, but he's also a really good screener. Yep. And, you know, we don't have the numbers on that, so just because they aren't publicly available, they're in the secret houses of the NBA teams that pay thousands and thousands of dollars for this data. But from a scouting perspective, when we watch the film, you can see that he's actually making contact on his screens um, and, and often ferociously so um, in order to get space for the attacker on offense. And I think that's something that the Jazz, again, really struggled with last year was actually making contact on the screens, making good screens and getting an advantage so that you can get some of these... uh, positives on the offensive end yeah yeah you know he's gonna yeah like like we're saying he's he's gonna utilize every every last drop of the of what physical talent he does have on both ends and he's you know yeah he's gonna make guards fight to get through those screens he's gonna make them slam into his chest and get through it he's gonna you know if you have a size advantage over him in the post and you want to take him there which pretty much every guy who plays him does and is going to teams went at him in the post an exceedingly large amount last year when he was on the court Sure, that's going to happen, but he's going to make you earn it. You're going to have some bruises, things like that. And, you know, that's those things are not without value in the NBA. Yeah, and I, I think the Jazz have been missing them for the last couple of years. So, okay, so now putting it all together in, a, in this trade win, or this, sorry, win amount discussion, um, I, I think the Jazz are still a couple of pieces away, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, I think they need a John Lucas, a third replacement. I think they're going to have to get a backup third point guard who is capable if Trey Burke goes down and Dante Exum's not ready to play at 35 a night. Yeah. And, you know, in the end, even then, you need a pack of point guard. Um, and they'll look for that. You know, they probably want someone with shooting. They probably want a little bit of a veteran spot there just to teach Trey Burke and, and Dante Exum. Um, it's not clear if someone like that in the league exists right now, but 
Um, Those types of guys I find are can be findable. They're you know, and I'm not the problem gonna, is you need someone better than John Lucas the third or better yeah. than Earl Watson, right? If it was just for you weren't going to play him any minutes whatsoever, then sure, bring back Earl Watson, and and it doesn't matter. But he may end up playing a significant amount Some of time, minutes, yeah. and then it it all of a sudden becomes really bad for your team if if he's not if he can't play on the floor. Yeah, definitely, and that'll be a move they have to make, and then. A couple, maybe other depth signings, and they still have a couple of couple uh, pieces of room left on the roster. And they've got, you know, they've definitely got a little bit of salary room left. They're at about fifty six million right now, uh, currently committed for next season. So, they, and the cap is going to be at sixty three. And there really wouldn't be, as we were discussing before we started, there really wouldn't be an actual penalty for exceeding the cap if they needed to go a little bit over it to find the types of guys that they were looking for. I don't know that that's their their m- mantra for this year, but you never know. There's still there's still plenty of pieces out there. You know, da- like for example, I don't like the, either of these guys, but Dallas has both uh, Jameer and Ray Felton now. Uh, because <laughs> no, and I no, I, again, I don't like no, either but of I those guys. Like that, that's the case on Dallas. No, I know it's hilarious. Actually, like <laughs> there's really no chance that you need both those fat guys. Like, but like, but it, it, sorry, that I don't mean to be insulting, but uh, uh, well. You NBA know what if, fat. Yeah, what if they decide they don't want one of those guys and they want to offload somebody to get a little extra salary because they, you know they're really the Dallas is going for it. They're they're trying to build, they're trying to get the last the last few years out of Dirk's prime there or right. well Dirk's career that is and and really make another run at it. And you know what if they decide they want to try and move one of those guys and you know, to open up some salary or something like that and that's just an example. There I'm sure there's other things like that in the league and then, and like you say the Jazz have left themselves plenty of room in terms of little trade assets and things like that and I think we could could see maybe a, a, a cheap veteran like that be brought in as for that type of a role maybe maybe um maybe yeah i mean it depends i mean minnesota just signed mo williams although they may trade him in this cleveland deal but you know maybe they need someone to take on jj Berea's salary you know what would the jazz what would they be willing to trade in order for the jazz to take that on and maybe he could be that third point guard you know again these aren't excellent players that we're talking about but they're good they're better than the deontay garrett john lucas the third that we saw last year, who are putting up single-digit numbers, uh, PR numbers. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work. So um, I, it's weird because I, I want to talk about how good the Jazz will be next season, but I don't want to give a win total because last year I nailed it. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I you did. hit it straight I went on. I went on ABC4, Real Sports Live, and said that the Jazz would win 25 wins. Nice. I, I, there's video of that nice. out there on the internet. I we should, we should repost that on on Salsa Hoops <laughs> just to just to show. I've thought about it, but then I realized that that would be like the the biggest. It's not even a humble brag. That's just a outright That's a brag. brag. That's Andy Larson. Thank you very much. I'll be hey. collecting my my checks. You gotta you gotta do what you gotta <laughs> do. And if you nail a pretty, that's a, that, so, that's good. Like, I don't. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on me for next year. Is all I'm saying is, and I don't want to give my prediction, my win total prediction yet. Okay. If you have one, fine. I have a but rough. I'm going to wait until like October and get as much information as possible, and then probably still be off by ten wins. But yeah, mine I is going to. I'll give honest. a range if you want. I can. Okay, I'll, let's, I can let's give a range. range. I do think that it is going to go up. I I really <laughs> think that. I, <laughs> twenty-six. It, that's to my range. Up, twenty-six to eighty-two. No, um, I have them between like twenty-eight and. 32 33 on the top end maybe huh. okay so um that would be, that top end would be a lot of things breaking right i actually think that it's possible that they are better than 33 wins 
I do see it as conceivable again, like kind of like I mentioned earlier, we would need a couple of decent sized leaps. I think Favors is the one who there would have to be a leap from Favors for that for a for to get over thirty four thirty five wins in this West. Uh, I, I think Favors specifically plus one of those other guys would have to show us something that we haven't seen in previous years. So Kevin Pelton put out an article today on this very topic about which teams had the biggest improvements this offseason. Um, and it's an ESPN Insider article, although if you don't have ESPN Insider, please do it because, yeah. A, it helps pay my meager um, outlay for each Jazz game. And so, yay. But you also get a lot of ESPN Insider content that is really good, including Kevin Pelton, who is an excellent writer and oh, he's is awesome. really interesting. And he predicts that the Jazz are going up 3.1 warp, which is wins above replacement players. So just by adding Trevor Booker and getting rid of Richard Jefferson. Richard Jefferson last year was a minus 0.3 warp, so he's a negative player when compared to replacement level. Thanks again, by the way, for playing him starter minutes. Yeah, let's that play was, him instead of Alec Burks. It's a great was, idea. Uh, just bundle of fun um but the jazz should get some contributions from trevor booker and steve novak and basically he's saying by getting rid of these nobodies who are playing a lot of minutes and by having someone who has any modicum of talent and i i guess i'm being harsh on richard jefferson here but he's a nice person (laughs) he is i really i learned a lot from richard jefferson in the locker room last year i really did he was he had the best answers by far to any question i asked he was not afraid to disagree with my premise i mean i i love talking to richard jefferson last year but i still look at minus 0.3 warp and say you know maybe yeah. you shouldn't have been on the floor so much uh and so you know he's predicting that the jazz make this three win bump at least from 25 to 28 i think that that's not taking into account the coaching staff at all mm-hmm. and i think that makes a big difference I th- it's going to be really hard for the jazz to be worse than they were defensively last season yeah and that, to me, is the biggest difference. If the Jazz can make a leap from 30th to 20th defensively, which I think is possible given the talent on the roster, then you know that's probably worth five wins right there. Yeah, and that's where I, that's where I say like the, the Favors thing. I think Favors would be the biggest instrument towards that happening. Favors and possibly uh, Gobert if he can increase his playing time and be playable offensively and like catch the ball and things like that. Uh, yeah. I, and, you know, I, don't, I definitely don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I, I, I do... I do think that putting it much over 33 might be slightly un- not overrating the Jazz, but maybe slightly underrating the West, which okay. which is again going to be completely ludicrous. How good it's going to be! <laughs> yeah. I-, I really don't see outside probably the Lakers, uh, and maybe not even because they've got enough serviceable players on that roster. You know, Carlos Boozer wasn't good at 18 million, but at like what's he getting now? Like three and a half or something? He's probably solid the guy can play basketball like it's not like just because he was an amnesty candidate he can't play right. and kobe is is kobe we'll never we'll see what happens with him in terms of the health and jeremy lynn's not a bad player and, and jordan hill blah 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 i could keep going and so, but uh, even outside of them and you know sacramento's definitely not trying to be bad like are there any teams in the west who are doing the, the proverbial like tanking philly style thing where they're they're really and sort of what the jazz did last no. year like there really aren't any of them and i I do think like houston got worse so i think that could be worth you know five or six wins to them which could be worth one win to the jazz you know what i mean like these little things although obviously you would still expect houston to be favored in any of those games maybe it's by less yeah um you know and things like that i think it's about as equal as about as difficult as it was last season which is to say really really insanely difficult. difficult yeah um so i we're almost out of time and i i Regret not getting into the Alec Burks and his Cantor 
discussions, but we still have two months to talk about those yeah, before those extensions. So I, I will leave those for another great Salsa Hoops podcast. Hopefully it'll be great. Um, They're all great. Oh, I'm glad. Um, but it's time for our signature segment, the crazy trade idea of the week. And this is... I'm sad that that's our signature segment because it re- <laughs> reflects the craziest part of us, but that's okay. We've got a four-team team trade this week on the crazy trade idea of the week. We need a sponsor for that pod- for that segment. That would be stellar. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think it's interesting. So it's a four-team trade. I don't want to get into all the specifics because it gets a little bit crazy. It's on Real GM if you want to read it. On the Real GM Trades and Transactions board, so you know it's the best source of rumors possible. Oh, of course. Um, I, well, uh, Daryl Morey said that he reads these Trade and tra- yeah. Transactions boards. Real GM's reading Twitter yeah. in order to get ideas when he's making uh, you know, trades with other general managers out there. So this is, this is the seed of a deal to come, I'm sure. Plus other GMs won't talk to him because they don't like him. Well, so. yeah. <laughs> so now he has to go to the message boards just for social interaction. I mean, I wish I could make fun of him, but we're bloggers yeah. from our basements. So yeah. We, we don't have any room to talk. But anyway. I'm better at ping pong than you, Daryl. No. Uh, are you sure? No, not at all. Definitely not. I, have, I actually have really insider information that I was specifically asked not to share regarding Daryl Morey's and a certain member of the Jazz front office ping pong game. Okay. So then we're not going to say it. I apologize. It. But I've. Anyway, um, this 14 day. Four-team deal. Uh, Utah, I'll just go with that part of the deal first, gets uh, Patrick Beverly from the Houston Rockets and Ursan Ilyasova from the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. And who do they send? Yeah. Or Ennis Cantor. Ah. Um, Houston gets Cantor um, along with Brandon Knight in order to give up Beverly mm-hmm. along with Alonzo G. Um, I don't mind that for Houston either. And Donatus Montagunas, I should add that in. So it's still it's not a bad deal. They get Brandon Knight, which is probably you know, a lateral move compared to Beverly. Um, Probably for Van, it's a little bit of a step back because he can't play defense like Beverly can. But they get Cantor, again, who can't play defense, but is a good piece. Probably has that same long shot that Montejunas has and, you know, is a little bit of a better prospect. Um, Milwaukee gets Eric Gordon, um, Alonzo G, and Montejunas in return for Brandon Knight and Ilyasova and getting rid of the contract of O.J. Mayo, and uh, New Orleans trades the contract of O.J. Mayo for the contract of Eric Gordon. I just, I love that, so this is, you're saying that this was already put, somebody already put this exact deal up on the, on yeah. the Real GM board? I just love that people the people think of these things. Like, that's, that's just That's great. a complicated like, deal, right? It is. Like, like, they're like, going it, around the league and trying to find what It took what real work. time for them to figure that, like, okay, so this benefits these guys this way, and like, yeah, with four different, that's fun, though, but I, I don't mind it. That's, uh, but for all the teams involved, you could see. It doesn't seem crazy. No, I don't know that Milwaukee does it, because I don't know that they want to take on Gordon's type of money, but like you know, you never know what a team's looking for. And as far as it goes for the Jazz, uh, I think Ilyasova is similar in a lot of ways to what Cantor's doing, but has maybe proven himself as a as a shooter a little bit more. Even he's been equally as inconsistent, if not more inconsistent, uh, than Cantor. But if that's something that you think you can fix, if you think it's maybe something that had to do with a coaching staff, it could, he's you know he could be a nice piece. And if he if he maximizes his skill set, he's definitely worth eight million a year, which is roughly what he's being paid. And the Jazz right. can, and even if he doesn't, the Jazz can afford that for this year and next. Um, and Beverly would be Jazz. I mean, try and tell me, Jazz fans would not love Patrick Beverly. Like, no, just, it'd be incredible. And, yeah. and I think the reason I like this deal, I I don't think it's that great on value because Enes Kanter is is a young good player and so you know you have some qualms with trading him away but Patrick Beverly first of all is making an unguaranteed 900,000 next year so he's incredibly cheap given his production 
um, kind of a Chandler Parsons situation where you know you probably will have to pay him a lot more next season, but that's that's the way it goes. Um, but I think it fits Quinn Snyder's offense mm-hmm. a lot better than Ennis Cantor does, and that's that's my big question for next season is whether Ennis Cantor can fit in the kind of offense that um, Quinn Snyder wants to implement. And uh, as well as defense, right? And whether or not Ennis Cantor can be a plus defensive player. I don't think I would do this trade today just because I still believe in Ennis Cantor's potential and I want to see how he does under a new coaching staff. But if we get to the trade deadline and Ennis is still kind of the same player that he was last season, i.e. overall a negative, not trying on on defense and kind of having an inconsistent offensive game, um, while he does good things, it's probably enough for me to say, okay, Let's go ahead and find players that match this system that we're trying to implement moving forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, th- you know, I think Beverly. I don't know that Houston would want to let him go. I think he's their their safety valve for James Harden's just monstrous, awful defense. He's their guy. You know, he's their per- their their one sort of guy that can defend wings and things like that. Uh, and especially now they've lost Parsons as well. Who, although I'm I'm not as high on him defensively, but yeah, I. Uh, yeah, it could it could be a move that you see, and I, I probably agree. I don't know that unless you're getting maybe something more in terms of a blue chipper, uh, a young blue chipper back for for Cantor. I don't know that you're necessarily going to be wanting to send him out before we see a little more from him this year. Um, it, it's po- it's very possible that a lot of his struggles last year, especially defensively, may have had to do with a with a confusion in the system and not fitting in the system. And we'll we'll see how you know how well Coach Snyder can kind of correct that and 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 integrate him more effectively into that. And I I do actually think he's got so he's got plenty of value for a motion type offense offensively. He's you know, he's he's going to space the floor because he can definitely shoot the shot. Um, he, he doesn't have to necessarily be down low all the time to have an impact, and he can. I don't know that he passes well enough. That's yeah. Yeah, that that part I agree with, and that's gonna be the, that's gonna be the main thing is whether or not he can, especially out of the post, whether they can start using him as a as a way to start plays out of the post and initiate, find the first little bit of weakness from the defense and initiate the rotations that you want to see in a in a good motion offense. That's the biggest question for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the crazy trade idea of the week. Um, as always, you can submit your crazy trade ideas to saltcityhoops at gmail dot com. Um, by the way, we have this cool Freelance Friday thing coming up this week and every week on Salt City Hoops where you guys, the, the Salt City Hoops audience, can contribute um, really whatever kind of pieces you'd like to Salt City Hoops. So we're looking for kind of the in-depth analysis kind of things that we feature on Salt City Hoops, but that can be in a whole bunch of different areas. It can be an X's and O's breakdown. It can be a crazy trade idea. It can be a historical look back. It can be a player profile. I mean... All sorts of different pieces. If you want to do something audio or video, feel free to submit that as well. But um, it's kind of a cool way we can get the community involved in Salt City Hoops, and so we're looking forward to it. So, again, feel free if you want to email anything in. Our email address is saltcityhoops at gmail.com. Shouldn't be hard to remember. Um, That's been another great Salt City Hoops podcast. Again, great is hopeful rather than I I don't know that. No, confident. It was great. (laughs) But um, we'll be back with you next week from the new ESPN 700 Studios downtown. This is Andy Larson and Ben Dowsett signing out. Thanks again.